It's Monday, December 31st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. This past year, the country mourned together for the loss of Senator John McCain. The country lost a war hero, a statesman, and a patriot who lived his life in service to his country. McCain died at the age of 81 after a year-long battle with brain cancer. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to talk about John McCain's love of country, his political legacy, and how the Republican Party changes now that he has passed. Next, it is a punctuation that might be getting overused in recent times, and it is also causing a lot of anxiety. It's the exclamation point. People are using it too much in texts and emails, and it's making people feel weird. On the other hand, when people don't use one, it makes you feel like they might be mad at you. Katie Bindley, personal tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about why the exclamation point is making people freak out. Finally, let's check in on the video game phenomenon on Fortnite. The game has grown so much it is inspiring lawsuits over dance moves in the game, and people are also making money off of the game in ways you wouldn't expect. Parents are enlisting video game tutors for their children. They are hiring coaches so their kids don't fall behind and paying upwards of $20 an hour. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for this new trend of Fortnite tutors. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm the luckiest guy on earth. I have served America's cause, the cause of our security and the security of our friends, the cause of freedom and equal justice all my adult life. With all our flaws, all our mistakes, with all the frailties of human nature, as much on display as our virtues, with all the rancor and anger of our politics, we are blessed. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Senator John McCain has passed from brain cancer. He was 81 years old. He was surrounded by family and friends. The latest news right now that we're learning is that Mitch McConnell and other congressional leaders announced that he will be lying in state at the U.S. Capitol to allow the public to pay the respects. What else do we know, Ginger? That's right. He will lie in state in the rotunda, the center of the Capitol, an honor that is reserved for a very small number of American dignitaries to have died. Only a handful are given that recognition. We know that after he lies in state in the rotunda, he will be buried in Annapolis, where the Naval Academy is as part of the Naval Cemetery there. This is going to be undoubtedly a very public showing of mourning for really a a man who was an elder statesman in America after representing Arizona in the United States Senate for over 30 years, having been a prisoner of war in Vietnam and a a presidential contender and a real voice in American politics and American life where he wasn't afraid to say what he thought and he wasn't afraid to tell people that he thought they were wrong. And that made him stand out among politicians in, in our country. And really, I mean, a figure all the way until the end, one of his last acts was voting down the health care bill that President Trump was trying to push through. And it really caused a little bit of angst between the president and John McCain. And, you know, that was one of the last major things that he had a, an impact on. One of the last votes he took was voting against repealing the Affordable Care Act or the Obamacare, as it has come to be known. Also crafting the last defense authorization bill, which was named after him, the John McCain piece of legislation, now law. President Trump and John McCain did not get along for a long time. McCain was critical of him both while he was running and after he took office. And President Trump doesn't take well to being criticized and has sort of the two never really rectified that we have 
not seen the president be critical of John McCain after his death. He did tweet his condolences, although everything that he has said has been very curt, not very flattering of the senator. There was reports several months ago that the president had been told he would not be asked to speak at John McCain's funeral. We will find out if that is true when the funeral uh, arrangements are made public in the next week. We all know the story of John McCain and his time in captivity. It was 1967. He was in a bombing raid over Hanoi. The plane was shot down. When he exited the plane, he broke both arms. One of his knees was broken. He was captured, tortured. The story is incredible. He was offered early release, but based on principle, he said, no, there's a rule where you're supposed to be released in the order that you were captured. And he stayed and he endured more torture and more torture. And it really changed his life at that point. You know, he said he fell in love with his country and it was when I was a prisoner in someone else's that I really began a new appreciation and a new love for my own country. So that was always something that stuck with him and it, it changed his life and it, it propelled him into the political career that he had. That's right. He was offered to be released as a prisoner of war in Vietnam before other prisoners that were being held along with him because his father was an, a high ranking official in the U.S. military. He said that he would not take that early release, that he would continue to remain a captive. And, you know, that's what really was at his core. He didn't get some special privilege that he wasn't being ascribed some special access, but that he was going to do what was right. And it really carried into his time in the Senate that, you know, he was not there to get the fluffy perks of being United States senator, but to get and do what he thought was right for the country. What's going to be his political legacy? The New Yorker had a, a headline that said, you know, it was the end of romantic conservatism and things are going to change. You know, he was one of these last people that was trying to stick to conservative principles. And now in the era of Trump, it's things have changed. So Paul Ryan, all these other guys are out. And with the passing of John McCain, I just feel like the party is going to change even more. I think you're right. John McCain's legacy will obviously be that. I'm a bit of a hawk. He was pretty aggressive when it came to military action, and that was something his opponents were critical of, but consistent in that principle. It wasn't that he was only holding that opinion when it was politically favorable to him. And that's really what describes his legacy. He was a conservative. He did ascribe conservative principles, but he also thought that there was honor and respect that was needed in office. That was some of his criticism of Ted Cruz when Ted Cruz came into the United States Senate. And I think that you're right. We are really at a point where there's a lot of particularly conservatives asking themselves, what the future of their party looks like. Will there be more John McCain's or more Donald Trump's going forward? And I think that the party is having a test. They're having a test right now in these elections to answer that question. And they're going to have a test again in 2020 and 2022 and 2024 to answer that question. I had the privilege of covering him in the United States Senate, of getting to spend time with him getting to know him. He was very open with reporters, which often meant there was a mob of reporters around him, but <laughs> right. sometimes meant that we got some alone time with him. And, and I did as well. And it was truly an honor to know and to have covered him. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. There seems to be an inordinate a number of exclamations. <laughs> I felt that the writing lacked a certain emotion and intensity. Ah, you know, hmm. 
Mm. Um, it was a damp and chilly afternoon, so I decided to put on my sweatshirt. <laughs> Joining us now is Katie Binley, personal tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal. I always love stories about language and words and how we interact with others, especially at the workplace, because these are the people that you see more than your family sometimes. And you had this article in The Wall Street Journal about the tyranny of the exclamation point and how it's causing anxiety whenever you see one in an email or a text. What is this all about? This has, I mean, been for years now that people have just been using exclamation points more in text and in email. People worry about being misconstrued. And so you have this inflation of the exclamation point where it's being used all over the place in a variety of contexts. And it no longer means I'm excited or enthusiastic right now. You know, it can often mean I'm just trying to be friendly or I'm just trying to be sincere. But because it has so many different meanings, it can just cause confusion when there's not one. People can read into it a lot. You know, if they send a note and they get one back that doesn't have any exclamation points, some people feel overwhelmed if they see too many. You've talked to a lot of people about how they use it and how it impacts them when they're reading those emails and texts. I'm guilty of every single one of these things. Part of it is there's been a blurring of lines between email and text because we see a lot of it on our phones. So an email is almost as equal to a text. A lot of times you feel a sense of friendship with your boss and your managers. And yeah, you want to be nice. You want to be cordial. You want to be that same bubbly person you are in person. The only way to do that is with an exclamation point a lot of times. And I've been in that situation where you send something to somebody with a few exclamation points just to show the exuberance that you want to convey. And yeah, it's they'll shoot back something really curt, really short, and they might not mean it that way. And that's like the hardest thing to really square away. I definitely think you're right that a lot of people, they're communicating with their superiors and their colleagues in a variety of different ways that are obviously all digital, but you might sometimes text with your boss. And so there is this email used to be more formal. And now between email, text and Slack, I do think things have gotten a little bit more informal, at least in some working environments. One of my favorite examples you point out is you spoke to someone who said, I was trying to convey four different thoughts at the end of each one of them. They all had exclamation points. I run into this where I do the same thing and I'll totally rewrite an email so that the tone is set properly still, but I have the number of exclamation points that I'm using. A common theme that came up was this like strategic use issue and the editing and the revising that's like very punctuation based. There's a lot of thought that goes into this. And one young woman I spoke with said that she limits herself to one per email now and she just like chooses (laughs) where it's going to go and what's the best spot. But she just (laughs) had a situation where she was using a lot of them and was like, "Ooh, this doesn't really seem like how everybody else in my office communicates. So she scaled back. But she was like, I still want to be true to myself and my personality. And I am kind of a bubbly person. So having none would feel too cold and outside of her personality. So that's where the anxiety sets in. There's been some studies, though about the usage of the exclamation point of who uses it more between men and women. Beyond that, just where people are using periods on their own does really seem insincere a lot of times. What what have these studies said? One of the studies is actually back from, it's from like 2006. Right now that seems like forever ago, but it was interesting because it it mostly focused on what women are intending when they use them because a lot of research has shown that women do use them more often than men. 
what they found is the, the way they phrased it was markers of excitability. And they said that women are not necessarily using them as, quote, markers of excitability. They're often using them to convey friendliness or to sound genuine. So that was how they were using them. And I do think that usage in general has spread across genders because I talked to men who said that they worry about not coming off as genuine or cool, and that's why they're using them. And then in terms of just how the period comes across, I spoke with a professor who did a study about how people interpret periods in text messages specifically. So it wasn't looking at email or instant message, but just over text. And she did find that people, when they saw a period at the end of a text, they took it to be more abrupt than an exclamation point or no punctuation at all. There was something about the period in text messages that people found kind of abrupt. You do allude to it a little bit in the article, and I think it's totally appropriate in this age of emojis and whatnot. We need a new punctuation, something that's kind of halfway in between that could work. This guy I interviewed, he mentioned, uh, you know, he just wants something in between a period and an exclamation point. And actually, like several months ago, I think back in maybe spring, maybe April, Nate Silver tweeted saying that he too would like something in between and like something like 30,000 people either liked it or retweeted it where you're (laughs) like, okay, there's clearly a fair amount of people who also want something maybe not as intense as an exclamation point, but that's not as cold as a period. What's funny about that is a couple people mentioned that they might use ellipsis instead, like the three dots. I use that all the time. Other people I found on Twitter saying that they find those really ominous. So it's like, I don't know. You can't, it seems like you can't win. Katie Binley, personal tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And what we're seeing now, some parents of kids that are in the more middle school or even elementary level are looking to get an edge on the game because it's, there's some sort of social pressures. Everybody wants to be able to brag about their wins at the playground. So parents are enlisting these coaches to help their kids do better at the game, which is, is pretty tough. Joining us now is Sarah Needleman, tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal. She focuses on the video game industry. We've talked about Fortnite, the video game phenomenon before on the podcast. Already in the first half of this year, they've made more than a billion dollars. I always love when things like this happen and then other industries start making money. There's other people finding ways to make money off of this. And on this side of the story, parents are enlisting video game tutors for their children. It's not that the violence or the addiction of the game that bothers mom and dad, it's them losing and they want them to be better at these games. What's going on with these Fortnite coaches? Well, we've had video game coaches before, but they've mostly been hired by adult hobbyists or older teenagers who are looking to become professional video game players. And what we're seeing now Some parents of kids that are in the more middle school or even elementary level are looking to get an edge on the game because there's some sort of social pressures. Everybody wants to be able to brag about their wins at the playground. So parents are enlisting these coaches to help their kids do better at the game, which is is pretty tough. Yeah, just proving the popularity and the impact of the game. uh, As you wrote in your article, you said it's becoming a social proving ground. And I love this quote out of it. It says, winning bestows the kind of bragging rights that used to be reserved for the local Little League baseball champ. And dads that would dole out their wallets for pitching lessons are doing this for video game lessons now. Exactly. It's just like, you know, if you're hiring a coach for your kids to get better at basketball or it could be piano lessons or chess lessons. It's just the same concept where you're trying to get better. It's only about an hour a lesson. 
And the lessons don't have to last indefinitely. You might just take one or you might take every Sunday night for an hour. And it's a chance for parents to bond with their children. Usually they can just sit in on it. And it can be a lot of fun and, and you can learn how to excel at what could be a very challenging game and just learn some best practices for playing in a game where you're on a team or competing against other people and, and the best way to go about doing that. Yeah, I'm a gamer. I've, I don't play as much as I used to. I, I do play Fortnite every now and then. And I totally understand the frustration of going out there and dying right away. It, it is a tough game. It gets you angry. You, you want to go back and play again and then you die right away again. So it's yeah. it, it tends to piss you off sometimes. Let's talk about the money behind this because there's these sites which will connect you to a coach. Sometimes these coaches are charging $20 an hour. I've seen some of these guys charging up to $35 an hour. What's yep, going on And some with this? charge even less. It really varies. So you want to look at the credentials of the coach and get a feel for whether or not they've been doing this for a long time. There's a difference between being very good at a video game and knowing how to coach the best way to play a video game. So not everybody's cut out for that job, but a lot of these sites that employ the coaches usually do some vetting. If you're going to hire a coach that you found through social media, you might want to do a little bit of homework on their background to make sure they really have the chops to be coaching and also just have the wherewithal to coach, especially when we're talking about children, you want as a parent you want to be there and just make sure everything's on the up and up. One of the families you talked about in your story, they said that they hired a coach for $20 an hour. They get about six hours of lessons a month. So they're spending about 120 bucks a month on these video game lessons. One of the funniest parts of the article is Fortnite bringing families together and a bunch of dads wanting to connect with their young sons. <laughs> one of the other uh, good quotes that I loved in the article said, within one week, I actually got a solo win. The other dads I play with congratulated me. I earned a little credibility with my son and his friends, and my wife and daughter made fun of me. Total dad mode, you know. It's pretty funny how a lot of dads really wanting to connect with the younger kids and going through exactly. these messages, they're getting the coaching too. There's a little rivalry between dad and son in some cases. I noticed some of the boys I spoke to were like, I don't want my dad to be better than me at this game. Or they're like, my dad is terrible. He needs the coaching. But oftentimes they admit that they could use some coaching too, because like with, with any competitive game, having an expert help you on how to get better is usually a good thing. And there's always ways to improve. A lot of these parents, maybe more particularly the dads, are saying, you know, they're hoping that their kids go pro at these video game things. And we've seen the rise of esports and things like that and tournaments and big payouts that happen. So even still, you know, these parents are looking forward to the future saying, so these lessons aren't that much because maybe they will go pro. Maybe they can accept it, these it things. It certainly is possible. Back in the day, that wasn't, it was so uncommon. It was so rare. It's much more common now. There are many more opportunities to play video games professionally as an individual or on a team. And there's some serious salaries being offered out there. There are professional leagues, you know, Activision Blizzard, and take two interactive software. Both have professional leagues. Electronic Arts also has league for its FIFA and Madden franchises. So there are definitely opportunities to do that. I can't wait to see what happens next in the whole Fortnite craze. It's been pretty fun so far. Sure has. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.